Welcome to the Proclaim and Defend podcast, a ministry of the Foundations Baptist Fellowship International. We seek to encourage and inform pastors on modern day topics from a biblical perspective. Our mission is to bring together like-minded Baptists to collaborate in glorifying God through fulfilling the Great Commission. Hi, it's Don Johnson with the Proclaim and Defend podcast. Glad to welcome you again to our podcast. It's almost the new year and we're getting ready for uh, another uh, several months of very interesting recordings. Uh, this time we're looking back, however, we published an issue called the Gender Controversy in our magazine Frontline uh, sometime uh, late summer, I believe is when the publication date was. And we're going back in this uh, uh, in, in the podcast to try to interview some of the authors from that particular issue. So today I have uh, Andy Montgomery again hosting uh, Pastor Matt Recker, one of the authors. And uh, his t- Matt's t- article was called Reaching Those in the LBGTQ Movement. Now, as we talk about this issue, you know, we want to assure people that we have... We don't approach the issue with a kind of triumphalist attitude. I think sometimes we've hurt our testimony by talking down to people who are caught up in this sin or any other sin. Uh, the only the, the reality is we're all sinners and we all need the Lord. So, uh, so we we really want to reach out to everyone and. You know, as the Lord brings people who are in this community along, across our way, we would love to be able to help them to see that there is freedom in Christ from their sin and from the destructive behaviors that often they engage in. Uh, so, you know, we really want to help people. I think you'll see this with uh, Pastor Matt as he talks about his ministry, his church is located right in the heart of the homosexual community in New York City, and he's had a great deal of experience uh, ministering to people from all walks of life. And uh, and praise the Lord, there have been some who've been saved and gone on to uh, fruitful Christian lives through that ministry. And uh, I, I think you'll profit from listening to what Matt has to say. And so that, I'll turn to that in just a moment, but as always, I do want to remind you about uh, what we're offering uh with Proclaim and Defend, the podcast, and all that we're trying to do here, uh, we certainly want to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any interviews and other uh, 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 news uh, items that we put out and uh, various various formats, preaching sessions, and other things that we're trying to do. Uh, and also, uh, we want to encourage you to become a paying subscriber. And the reason for that is that uh, you can read the article, Matt's article, will appear uh, with this podcast. And if you're a paying subscriber, you'll be able to read it online. And uh, you'll, if you become a yearly subscriber to the podcast, you can also receive the uh, Frontline magazine uh, direct to you uh, by mail. Now, we're, uh, uh, we also, uh, we also feel like it's an opportunity for you to help us with our ministry. And we think that the Lord has given us some very uh, important things to do as a fellowship and I uh, hope that you can join in with us and support the work of God uh, through what we're doing. So without any further ado, I'm going to uh, turn this over to Andy and he's going to take it away and uh, and take you through a conversation with Matt Recker. All right. Welcome back to the Proclaim and Defend podcast. 
Today, uh, I'm your host, Andy Montgomery, out in Indianapolis, and today I have the privilege of interviewing Pastor Matt Recker, who is in New York City and uh, wrote the first article in our issue on the gender controversy. Um, he's had experience for years being in New York City, um, where really his own neighborhood is impacted by this pretty tremendously. And so for Pastor Recker to reach the reach the gospel community that he's in um, needed to understand these topics. So Pastor Recker, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you so much, Andy. It's a joy to be with you. So we're just going to go right down through these questions. We were talking even a little bit before the podcast, and I've had the joy just a couple of times of actually seeing Pastor Record's ministry over the years and um, being out in New York a couple times. And uh, even my youth pastor was a horrible navigator, and I think one time you told them not to walk down Christopher Street, and uh, we all found ourselves walking down Christopher Street. Um, yeah, that, that was pretty par for the course with him. But um, So I guess we'll just go through some questions. You wrote the the first article in that issue. And so let me start with this. So Christopher Street, I just mentioned that, but can you explain to us what area you are at in Manhattan and and, uh, really what the atmosphere of where your church is? Sure. So our church started in 1996, actually, and the first place that we met in was on 23rd Street, right at 8th Avenue, which is the heart of the Chelsea community. And Mm -hmm. Um, of course, the modern day LGBT movement really had its official beginning in June of 1969 when there were these riots at a, an inn called the Stonewall Inn, which is now has some kind of a uh, historical recognition by the United States government because of that historical landmark uh, situation that happened there in 1969, these Stonewall Inn riots. So our church was really started right in the midst of where the LGBT movement had its modern day official start, if you will, in the United States. And so now for many years, too, we've been meeting in the Greenwich Village neighborhood, literally on the corner of Christopher Street and Hudson Street, which is um, kind of like 8th Avenue in the Greenwich Village area. And, of course, the Stonewall Inn is on Christopher Street, just uh, down a couple of blocks from where we are. So we're still right in the middle of it. And even every year when they have the they have their the, the last Sunday of June is their gay pride parade. Of course, June is gay pride month. Because this is yeah. when these Stonewall Inn riots happened. They happened in June 1969. So I think Christians should actually understand that. I've asked a few people every now and then, have you ever heard of the Stonewall Inn riots? And, you know, Christians, they, they kind of just look at me like with a blank stare, you know, like, what are you talking about? But we should be familiar with this history and because it, it changed the United States. Uh, because really from the Stonewall Inn riots, The many organizations, many gay organizations, many gay newspapers had its start out of that. And really, it it got national attention. And so that's why June is Gay Pride Month. The last Sunday of June is the Gay Pride Parade. And so we can't even meet at the well, we can, but we choose not to meet at our normal meeting place that last Sunday because just it's just everywhere. And it's very much in your face. And our our families would rather not have their children around that, quite frankly. Wow. So 
So we're we're in the middle of of the the gay community for sure. Wow, I did not realize. I, I didn't even make that correlation between that event and Gay Pride Month being the month of June. Um, I was telling you even before one of the mission trips we went on with a few guys out to New York City happened to be on that exact Sunday. <laughs> and so to to be there, we actually were like going to cross the street to a restaurant and we got stuck behind the parade. And certainly it's one of the most yeah. vile things I've ever seen. I, I can understand why your families wouldn't want to be in the area for that. Um, but it did, it yeah. was at least a, a very teachable lesson on what, what we're going to be dealing with. So, well, I guess, so we go from your community then to, to individuals. What kind of interactions as uh, a pastor in that neighborhood have you had with the LGBTQ uh, community in New York? Yeah. So that's a good question. And the interactions are just kind of like everywhere. You know, I mean, they're sure. just normal interactions. Like I, I was just recently in a coffee shop. I was getting a cup of coffee and the guy in front of me was getting flowers. And I just said, I said, oh, she's going to love those flowers. And he said, no, he's going to love these flowers, you know? <laughs> and so it just, it was, a, it's still a bit shocking, but that's the community that we're in. And it was kind of, it was kind of interesting when, when that guy left with the, uh, getting his flowers for his boyfriend, the, actually the vendor in the coffee shop was kind of making some comments to me, but I just let it all go. But it could be there. It could be on our track ministry as we're passing out gospel tracks. I, I had a young girl one time tell me, or, you know, ask me what we believed about the homosexual, uh, position. And, you know, I told her as nicely as I could, I believe that it was a sin. And she said, well, if that's what you believe, I could never believe what you believe. You know, so it could be while we're out doing evangelism. It could be while just out getting a cup of coffee. There was a, a coffee shop called The Big Cup. And so I actually needed to use the restroom. So I, I had to buy a cup of coffee to use the restroom. And when I went back to the restroom, on the door of the men's room was a Barbie doll uh a Ken doll dressed in a, he had a dress on, on the, on the men's room, the Ken doll had a dress on and on the Ooh. women's room, the Barbie had men's clothes on, you know? So, I mean, it's just kind of like that, so to speak. So the interactions are, are kind of everywhere. And because it's in the culture as well as it's in our church, I mean, we do have people who have formerly lived in the homosexual lifestyle and, Praise God. God has brought them out of that. And we're thankful for that. And other times we'll have people come in and, you know, as as visitors and still living in the homosexual community. So and we try to share the gospel with them. So so it, it's just part of part of life, really, in our in our city and in our community. But more and more, Andy, I have to say this. It's a part of our American culture now. So it's not just in our cities. You know, it has spread out throughout our culture. And so we, we cannot run away from it either. You know, I, I think a lot of times, yeah. you know, in urban culture, we Bible believing Christians have been good to just run away from the urban life, you know, and go to um, somewhere in middle America where it's more traditional. And, but it's getting to the point where there's nowhere to run. We're just going to have to put our, you know, put our tent, you know, put our flag down and, and, hold up the banner of Christ and preach the word of God and take our stand in love, you know, but in truth. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, a couple of things came to my mind as you said that I was just having a conversation with a friend the other day um, and he is in a rural area of Indiana. We're in Indianapolis and I'm down on secular campuses all the time. So I, I see this 
probably not as frequently as you, but I see it quite a bit. Um, yeah. and I was yeah, talking sure. to my friend. Say what? I'm sorry. No, no, I said sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And he lives in rural Indiana and he told me after having lived in India, now living in a rural area that he has to persuade his church family that this isn't a boogeyman, that this is real, that it's here, that it's coming to them, um, sooner than they think. Um, maybe some of that's the advantage of being in the urban atmosphere there, but, but certainly it's, uh, you're exactly right. We have to be ready for it. So, um, in fact, one other thought, sorry, I know I'm now I'm going off script a little bit past the record, but, um, that's it's fine. interesting. I think not only are we seeing that in our face, but we're also seeing an, an overreaction to it too. Um, I, I'm finding that in our church family, I work with young adults a lot and we have a lot of young men that will walk into church that are trying to find out whether or not they're cr- just crazy for thinking that there's such a thing as male and female. Because when they argue with people based on their opinions, they don't feel like they have ground to stand on, right? It's a, it's an aggressive agenda. It's in your face. You have to accept it. They're forced to do it in their work training, like all these different things. Right. And, right. and so some of them are just wondering if basic morality is actually crazy or not. And so not wanting to argue yeah, based on their opinions. Called names. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of people now in training, we have a police officer in our church and he's He's got to take all this DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion training now. And, yeah. and it's really just a Marxist ideology coming into our country. And, and especially Christians are now viewed at many times, especially if you're Caucasian as a white supremacist, if you're a conservative Christian or, or yeah. that if you want to push your, your biblical values or, or stand, I shouldn't say push, but if you want to stand up for your biblical values and we would like to see them embraced by mainstream, mainstream culture that now we're white nationalists. So they're yep. using these terms and labeling us and actually, I believe preparing to criminalize us for our biblical positions to come after us and persecute us eventually. Yeah, you and I are in the worst part of the intersectionality. White, married, straight, male pastors. <laughs> like it's, it's, uh, we're, we, we do not get any of those in our favor on that one. Um, but you're absolutely right. Um, so for our next question, then what is it? So what is an important way that pastorally as Christians that we reach this gay culture without surrendering to it? Yeah, well, that's a great question, and I'm not absolutely sure, except that we have to, first of all, be fearless, and we, like I said, we cannot run, but we have to, we have to be rooted in the in the Word of God, and we could talk more about this, but the reality is is that the homosexual community, there are so-called many so-called churches now in it, and Christians, yeah. so-called Christians in it. Our family members are in it and there are, they're using the Bible now to justify their homosexuality and to argue that this is a legitimate and God approved way of life. So we have to know what the Bible teaches and we have to understand as well what they believe so that we can discuss with them you know not not get into fights and arguments but we need to know what the truth is and there is a book that i i would like to recommend i don't know everything about the author i'm not giving a 
a total recommendation of the author, sure. but it's by Kevin DeYoung. And uh, I have the book here. It's called, What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality? Yes. And I found this book very simple. I mean, it's not a thick, it's easy to read. It's a thick, it's a nice, thin, easy to read book. But he really, I feel, does a good job dealing with some of these arguments that are being used to to actually say that, oh, the Bible doesn't mean what we thought it meant for hundreds of years. You know, the Bible, yeah. it's a, this whole idea of deconstructing uh, the Bible and then reconstructing it to approve of my sins, basically. So we have to know what the Bible teaches. And, and then I would just say we have to be humble. Um, you know, how can we reach the gay culture without surrendering? We need to be humble in that we have to realize that we all know what temptation is. We know how difficult it is to overcome temptation. And sexual sins are real difficult sins to overcome, whether it's adultery, whether it's premarital sex, whether it's pornography, or whether it's homosexuality. And so we need to be very humble and realize that those in the homosexual community have a very deep struggle with this. And they, and, and sin is so deceptive. They feel that there's, there, their inclination towards a homosexual way of life is so strong that, that they were just made this way, so to speak, you know? And so we have to be humble and we have to be very compassionate to them in the, in the struggle in which they're in. And we have to remember the compassion of Christ. I think of Hebrews chapter two, that we have a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So we need to realize that, or, you know, just point people to Christ. And I believe that's the best way to, what are some of the best ways to, you know, uh, reach the gay culture without surrendering to it. Point him to Jesus Christ, who is the great high priest of great compassion and of great power, who is a great redeemer who can deliver them. Amen. Amen. That's, I want to second your book recommendation, by the way. That book by Kevin DeYoung is excellent. Um, in one of the other interviews we did from this magazine, uh, for the Frontline article, or for the Frontline magazine, this edition, um, we mentioned that same book. It might be one of the best resources for any believer that wants to walk through all the relevant passages, think through the different perspectives, because you might be blindsided. If you're a believer trying to talk to somebody, you know, passages that you would typically go to. And all of a sudden you hear an article that you never would have considered would come from that passage. A book like that really does help to to guide you through what everyone else thinks on this. Um, yeah. So our, our next question, this one is an overtly political question, but it's kind of hard to talk about this topic without. And I bet it had a pretty big impact on you. How important in June of 2015 was the Supreme Court decision of Obergefell? Um, in our nation, but maybe even in your church context. Yeah, well, that was a very important decision in our nation, basically legalizing same-sex marriage across the country. Um, and basically, what what it did is it transitioned the LGBT movement from their emphasis on the the uh, L and the G, the lesbian and the gay. Yeah, because then it that so that Obergefell movement, it validated the L and the G part of the LGBT. So then yeah. basically after that, from that point on, that's when 
all of this other stuff just kind of just flooded into the culture. And you're like, where did all of, you know, you mentioned like pronouns and, and, and now everybody's choosing their pronouns in business. And, and now we have to do it. Or if you don't do it, you're, you know, you're, uh, you know, an, a narrow minded bigot. Um, that kind of thing. Where did a call come from? Well, it, it, they were planning that once they got the L and, and the G, which is Obergefell gave them the, the gay and lesbian legalization of marriage. So then they focus then on the transgender piece. And that's, uh, you know, uh, why the pronouns and now, you know, the transitioning from bo- for a boy to a girl and girl to a boy and, you know, gender affirming, um, counseling and 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 surgeries and all this all this other stuff just kind of just came it seemed like it just happened so fast right and it did but it's yeah. because of Oberfell, i think hmm. i i mean i think that's accurate and we're seeing the the fruits of all the the nasty fruits of all of that um the the battles that parents have over what their kids are told in school and even being allowed to to call themselves different things and dress differently at school. And then they don't tell the parents, um, athletes that are competing in sports and all of a sudden girls are yeah. uh, getting yeah, owned right. by men. Um, yeah. I mean, all of that, that really happened all after Obergefell as far as men competing in women's sports, again, because of the transgenderism, uh, then, being that that's the next that they, they kind of like put that to the side in the whole LGBT. They, they didn't really even focus much on the transgender piece. Right. It was, but, but so the Obergefell, I think really changed because they had to keep fighting for something, you know, I mean, there had to be a reason for their movement as well. So. Absolutely. And the thing that we need to, to pray about and, and ask God to, to work on our nation on is there's, there are further steps that can be taken. Um, now, you know, that's the LGBTQ plus. Um, yeah, there's no end to it. That. They're going to just keep adding letters to it. You know, there's, there's no doubt that pedophilia is something that they want normalized and legalized. Yeah, I mean, that is frightening. And it we, is. we know that there's all kind of child trafficking that's being uh, legalized and that there's all kinds of, of children being abused, uh, at our, at our own southern border and throughout our yeah. nation and, so we know that the, the 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 flood of immorality is just going to continue to get worse and worse in our culture, you know, with what they're trying to do with artificial intelligence as well. And, you know, putting, you know, goggles, putting the glasses on and and that's just going to open up a whole nother Pandora's box of of wickedness that people could be involved in. So we, we have to really be strong. You know, another thing that I feel is very important in our in our culture and in our churches and what I've seen through all of this. And I don't know if there's one, there's not one reason for it, but in general, this whole discussion is what we're seeing is the feminization of, of our boys. And we're seeing the masculinization of our girls and men are no longer, you know, you mean you even go to Christian colleges now and I, I was kind of stunned with this a few years ago. Went to one of our Christian colleges that we would appreciate, but it just seemed like the men were, they had like this feminine aspect quality about them. It's a bit shocked, you know? And, and, um, so we need to really 
pray that our boys will be boys, our girls will be girls, and uh, we need to raise them up. So, yeah, no, you're you're completely accurate on that. Um, it's a this is a little bit of a tangent, but like in in the role I have with working with young adults, like even in the dating world, this is seen now, even for Christians, um, because the guys are getting to the point where they a lot of them want to lead, and they are supremely discouraged from doing so. And the girls often dominate. It's, it's almost the I am woman, hear me roar kind of culture. And um, it, it scares the guys from leading. It emboldens the girls and it, it's harmful to them both. And uh, it's it's a really difficult dynamic to watch. And you're right. We certainly have to pray over that. And as we just talked through even how perversion upon perversion upon perversion keeps happening, um, it causes us to realize that we need to have a scriptural grounding um, for, for how we believe in these things. We could play whack-a-mole with all the perversions, but God has given us in his word a model for what marriage and sexuality and gender should be. And he's given us, uh, important, uh, passages that even refer to, um, the dangers of homosexuality. So it allows us to pivot in our conversation here. Um, Pastor Matt, what are some of the arguments that certain Christian denominations use? to justify homosexuality. I think Ezekiel 16 was one you wanted to focus on and maybe any other passages that you'd like to, to share about. Yeah, I, I would start with Ezekiel 16 because the first time I heard, you know, in personal conversation, anyone justify homosexuality to me, this was the passage that was brought to me. And basically what was said to me then and what I've heard many others say since is in Ezekiel 16, verse 49, Ezekiel says, Behold, this was the iniquity of the sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. So so the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't homosexuality. It was it was fullness of bread and it was pride. And, you know, it was these other things. So it wasn't homosexuality at all. So that was kind of. When this argument was brought to me the first yeah. time, I, you know, it's, I didn't know what to say. I was like, okay, well, I have to go think about this a little bit because I hadn't heard it. This was way back. This was way back, you know? Right. And, before and there by were the way, 100 articles it, it, written. Yeah. Now, but the thing is, you know, it's like what I often tell people when they're trying to justify some kind of false doctrine or sin or something is just keep reading the Bible. Just keep reading. So like the next verse, if you just keep reading the next verse, don't stop with verse 49. You read verse 50. It says, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Yeah. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. So I, two interesting things there, I think. One is how the LGBT movement has embraced the word pride. And mm. that can't be a good thing. Because pride goes before destruction, this haughty spirit before a fall. So even though, so yes, it says their sin was pride. And that's the word that they have embraced, gay pride. So this is, pride is ungodly. Pride is what led Lucifer to rebel against the Lord from the beginning. The second thing about this, they were haughty, and it says they committed abomination. And this word abomination is the very same word used. And maybe we can, I want to actually talk about this as, as well, if we have a moment, but it's the same word used in Leviticus 1822 
and Leviticus 20.13 that deals with the sin of men sleeping with men, that it is an abomination. So Ezekiel does reference the sin of homosexuality, if you will, with this word abomination. Yeah, that that word abomination really is an important linchpin in in our Bible study on this exact topic. You, you nailed it there, and I, it's it's a major, uh, majorly important thing. It is funny the way you said that. Like literally, read the next verse, and that word is right there, and it connects very clearly back to the Leviticus passages. Yeah, and the same thing too. You know, one of the other arguments is that they'll say that Jesus didn't ever speak against homosexuality. But he did when he used the term fornication. So the term abomination here kind of reminds me of that. It's a more general term, but it relates to homosexuality. And when Jesus said fornication, and he referenced that a number of times in his teaching as a sin that comes out of a heart, out of our heart, that fornication is any, you know, any form of, of sexual immorality outside of the marriage bond which is what the Bible is so clear about. Any form of sexual immorality, whether it's adultery, whether it's premarital, or whether it's homosexual sex, it's all sin. And so Jesus did refer to it when he used the term fornication. Absolutely. And even even to build on that, he, he referred to it when he was talking about the importance of marriage being between man, one man and one woman. He, he referred back to, so many times, you know, he, he referred back to the Old Testament, especially to Genesis. He was, he did it in the context of talking about divorce and I believe Matthew and, and he, but in a sense, like he, he gave that as the model and any perversion of that model is a digression from God's plan. Um, and, uh, but absolutely, yeah, absolutely using the word fornication, using abomination in the Old Testament. Um, it's, it's a pretty strong argument. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, get, getting to that also, even we, we mentioned earlier, so maybe a little sidetrack, but the DEI and, you know, pronouns and everything. I, I believe we have to like draw a line somewhere and I could mm-hmm. be wrong, but the line that I draw in my own heart and spirit on this is if somebody, Let's say there's a girl and she wants to be, uh, she wants to identify as a man and changes her name to Bill. Let's say a a woman changes her name to Bill. I'll call her Bill. I'll call a person's name, whatever name they want, and I'll refer to them respectfully. But if a person is born a female, I cannot call her a him. That goes against my faith. That goes against my, my, my freedom of speech. I have freedom of speech just like you. If you want to refer to yourself as a her, even though you were born of a male, that's fine. But I don't have to refer. That's my freedom of speech now. And I believe that somebody who was born with female body parts is a female. Somebody born with male body parts is a male. God made them male and female. That's clear in the Bible. So I, and that's my freedom of religion and that's my freedom of speech. And so I am not going to get into this whole pronoun uh, issue. And I, I believe that's I, I believe that's a line that we should stand, you know, stand on. Yeah. And and honestly, like that is the most compassionate thing to do to reinforce someone in falsehoods is is dangerous for them. The pathway that it leads to is is a dangerous it's a dangerous end. And so 
to reinforce that doesn't help them. It's not compassionate. Right. And, um, and I think a lot of godly men have, I've, a lot of the men that I've observed who take a really solid biblical stand on this, draw the line exactly how you just said it, where names, names can be changed. Sometimes we even have names that can be a guy name and a girl name at times. So using the name they asked for is it doesn't seem to be a, a bad line to cross, but the, the pronoun usage, um, is really where the enforcing of the, the wrong lifestyle comes. Yeah. And, and, they, and for a pastor, for me, that's really not difficult for me to take that stand. But if somebody's working for a big company and they have this push for pronouns, a person could lose their job over that too, you know? Yeah. So that, that could be a real stand, but we've got to stand somewhere, you know? Absolutely. So. And all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So it's time for us to live godly and, and embrace. And we can rejoice. If, if, and if, if a person loses their job over that, they can rejoice that they have suffered for the sake of their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, because Jesus teaches us these things. And so we would be suffering for his name's sake. I believe if somebody suffered or lost their job on account of account of that. Yeah, amen. And we probably need to be ready to to have those conversations with our loved ones and and people in our churches because that's that's coming if it's not already here for many. Yeah. Um so our our last question for the interview today um is what are some of the strongest points and and hopefully these are things that can um any of you who are listening to the podcast today can bring home with you to to help equip you. Um and I guess we probably did a little bit of this even just a moment ago. But what are some of the strongest points from God's word? that definitely show that the LGBTQ lifestyle is sinful and morally unacceptable to God? Which which arguments would you bring them to, Pastor Matt? Yeah. Well, obviously, I, I, I believe Romans 1 is still a very, very powerful argument, but they have their arguments uh, on. But I'm going to stay away from that for a moment just for the sure. sake of time. But I, I, I what I found in my study is the most powerful argument for me is based on 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 and that passage and and also there's a, a Timothy pa- a Timothy passage uh, where he uses this particular word here and it's translated in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 I'll just read the verse it says know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God be not deceived neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, covetous, and so forth, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And it's this, and it's this word that's um, translated in our King James Bible: abusers of themselves with mankind. And it's a compound word that many people actually believe that Paul himself coined, and he made up this word by taking two different Greek words that literally mean man and a bed. And he gets these words from the two Leviticus passages, one Leviticus 18.22, the other Leviticus 20, verse 13. Let me just read one of those just just, uh, for our listeners' sake. But Leviticus 18.22 says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind. As with womankind, it is abomination. So the two words that Paul uses in this Greek word, and it's the word, I'll I'll give you the Greek word. 
It's arsenokoita, and forgive my bad Greek pronunciation there, arsenokoita. It's a compound word, two Greek words, and it comes from, and the, and the, the Greek translation, the Septuagint translation of this verse, tran, uh, it's, it's the two words that come from the word lie with mankind. So man lying in bed with another man. And so Paul takes these two words from Leviticus 18.22 from the Septuagint and, and Leviticus chapter 20 verse 13. And he, he comes up with an, uh, his own compound word. So I thought that was very powerful actually. Yeah, it is. Because what's one of the arguments too? One of the arguments of the LGBT movement when they try to justify the sin is that, oh, you can't use the law passages because the law said, you know, you can't, you can't wear a garment that has two different fabrics or you can't, you know, uh, eat lobsters and clams and you Christians eat lobsters and clams and, and you'll wear, uh, linen and, and, and polyester garments, you know, so, so, and, and they try to group all of these, uh, these uh, homosexual passages as well together. And there's a lot that can be said on that, but not to go too, too far on this, but it is important for us to know what passages of the law still apply to us today and what don't, what, sure. what passages don't. And I don't say that's an easy thing to work through, but obviously one of the ways we know when a, a law passage is to be applied for us today is it's, it's given to us in the New Testament or it's repeated in the New Testament or it's used in the New Testament. So here Paul is taking a law passage. And by the way, in the Leviticus, the Leviticus 20 passage in that the next verse, I think he talks about lying with your mother, you know, in a, in a very immoral situation. And it also talks about bestiality. And we know that that's wrong. And, um, and ultimately they'll probably be trying to justify bestiality as well as pedophilia down the road once they get all this other stuff said it. But anyway, so I believe one of the ways we know that a law passage does transcend the days of the law into this day of grace is when it's repeated. And, and so I think that was a very powerful argument to show that the effeminate and the abusers of themselves with mankind does refer to homosexuality and it's clearly with these other sins and those who practice them as a continual practice are not, are not saved. They need to be born again. Right. They shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but such were some of you. Yeah. It's a, it's a, that's a pivotal passage. Paul loved to do that. Didn't he make up words? Um, if yeah. there was a concept he needed to communicate, there's quite a few times in the new Testament where Paul uses a word that's not seen anywhere else in, in ancient writing. He just made it up. Um, in order to help make that happen. But it's interesting because the idea of the, those who are effeminate and then those who are those abusers of themselves with mankind, um, it really ends up being a mockery of, or an, a cheap imitation of marriage, um, where each, each partner in that relationship is almost trying to play the male female role, even though they can't. And, uh, those, it's really interesting to see how that word, uh, illuminates a lot of the truth of of what we're talking about today. Well, Pastor yeah. Matt, I guess I'll just close with this thought then. Are there any other thoughts that you want to share um, at, at the end of this just to help any of our listeners as they seek to share the gospel with, with their uh, neighbors, with their friends, maybe even family members who are wrestling with this? Maybe just even the main points of your article probably would 
be what you're thinking on, but any other remaining thoughts that you want to share? Yeah, I would just say the, the last thought is more and more people will be coming into our church struggling with, you know, having uh, interest maybe in someone of the, the same sex with them and being drawn to people of their same sex. And we need to be compassionate with them in the struggle that they're having because they're being taught it in the schools. They're they're being taught it in the media. They're being taught it in the entertainment world that all of this is okay. And so people are going to be so, I remember when I was a kid, some of, some of my uh, friends in high school experimented with homosexual sin. I did not praise God, you know, but some of my friends uh, did, but just think of how many now, because it's being promoted as completely normal are because sin is always attractive. Sin is always tempting. And so more and more young people are going to be attracted. They're going to be experimenting and they're going to be struggling. So we need to be very compassionate and, and we need to be very patient and we need to be very loving to encourage them to find that victory through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, that, that's a great way for us to, to end today. Thank you, Pastor Matt, for, for being a part of this today. Make sure you check out that Frontline article and um, as it has the uh, many different articles on the gender controversy. Pastor Matt is the first one in that edition, and uh, we hope that this can be helpful to you as you seek to be a light uh, of Jesus Christ in your community, in your family, in your friendship. So thank you for joining the Proclaim and Defend podcast today, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Proclaim and Defend podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and give us a good review. If you want to learn more about the FBFI, check out our website at fbfi.org or our blog, Proclaim and Defend, at proclaimanddefend.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Proclaim and Defend podcast.